All right, so if you've got your program um, that says Real Happiness, we're starting a brand new service. If you don't mind opening up to the outline there. The question that probably many of us have asked most of our lives, um, even if you didn't realize you were asking it, you've been asking this question. And the question is, how do you find real happiness? And with that goes the question, well, what is real happiness? If you Google real happiness, you know what you get? You get a book by Sharon Salzberg on her 28-day meditation program. Is that the path to happiness? You know, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to empty myself. I've got to navel gaze. I've got, um, is that? Is that the path to happiness? People spend a lot of money on millions of different things to find happiness. Happiness is a top priority for most people. It's a quest for many people. Yet very few people find real happiness. It seems to have an elusiveness to it. it, it, it there are so many opinions... I mean, let's face it, if you're on social media at all, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, there's, there's a million op opinions for everything, right? Well, you can multiply that exponentially when you start talking about what does real happiness mean. There's all these opinions. There's so many paths to happiness. Do they all lead to happiness and blessing? Do any of them lead to happiness? Today we're starting this brand new series, and we're calling it Real Happiness, The Unexpected Path to Blessing. And that brings up the question, well, what is a blessing? I mentioned this last week when we were talking about God bless America. How do you define blessing? Would we even know it if blessing hit us right in the face? Because the Bible says that problems can be a blessing. I'm sure that's what you've been praying. God, please send me more and more problems so I can be blessed. Does anybody pray that? No. How does problems equate to blessing? How can that be? So what in the world is a blessing? If you pray for God to bless somebody, how will you know if God answers that prayer? If you don't know what a blessing is. It's interesting that the word for bless in the Bible is a Greek word. Now, I know I gave you a Greek word last week, and I'm giving you, I was really reluctant to do this two weeks in a row, a Greek word this week, because I know for some of you, you're going to be like, oh, we've been waiting for this. Oh, that was so good, Pastor Jerry. You know, so don't email me, or if you do email me, email me at rich, rich at seminolechurch.com with all your complaints, okay? Um, sorry, Pastor Rich. He's over in Kid Zone right now. Um, so the Greek word for for happy is the same Greek word for blessing. This is crazy. The Greek word for blessing is makaros. It's also the exact same word that's translated, makaros, is also translated happy. It's the word for happiness. It means that to be blessed is to be happy. To have blessing in your life is to have happiness in your life. So when Jesus talks about it, he says, you are blessed if you, what he's saying is, you're happy if you do this. 
because it's the exact same word. So in this, in this series, we're going to study, we're going to look at the very first portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's called the, his most famous sermon that he ever taught is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're just going to look at a portion of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And this part, or this whole sermon, in fact, was so popular that the disciples, they, they set up, they're all clicking their pens and they're taking notes. And they're writing down, they literally wrote down every word of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Several of them did. Many of his followers wrote it down. And they made handwritten copies and they handed them to anybody. They distributed them to everybody who would listen. So they kind of told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends to where now we're 2,000 years later and we're still talking about this great Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to share with you the eight things that Jesus opened with and then I hope that you will someday share those eight things with other people as well. Now Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount talking about eight ways to be blessed. Or you could call it eight ways to find real happiness. Or eight ways to blessing. Because happiness and blessing are interchangeable words. And the truth is as your pastor, I want you to be happy. I certainly want you to experience God's blessings in your life. I want God to bless your life. I want him to bless your relationships. I want him to bless your marriage. I want him to bless your, your finances. I want him to bless your career. I want God to bless your children. We just sang the blessing from generation to generation to their children to their children. I want God to bless your, your future. I'm extremely interested in us receiving God's blessings and us being happy. Aren't you interested in being happy? And having God's blessing? So as we study scripture, what we find about God's blessing, what we find about happiness, is the problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. God wants to bless our lives. God wants us to be happy. They're the same word. But we have to get blessable. We have to, just like all of his promises, have a premise. If you'll do this, then I'll do this, same way. God says, if you'll get blessable, I'll bless your life. If you'll do these things, you will receive happiness. You'll be happy. God wants to bless our lives, but a lot of us, we live in ways that God can't bless. We just have to be honest. God's not going to bless sin. So if you've got this sin scheme going on over here, like, Lord, just bless this, you know, bless my, my, my scheming and my sin. And God's like, he's already predetermined. I'm not going to bless that. There's no magic Bible verse that you can get to lasso God and get him to do what you want to do, do your bidding. He's the creator of the universe. He's not a vending machine. So God has already predetermined, I'm not going to bless certain things. I'm not going to bless arrogance. I'm not going to bless indifference. I'm not going to bless sin. I'm not going to bless pride. So there's a lot of things that God won't bless. He's not going to bless. So when Jesus starts this most famous sermon, this is the first thing he begins with. He says, here are the eight conditions for blessing in your life, for God to bless your life. Here are the eight conditions for you to find real happiness in your life. So for the next eight weeks, this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at... Each of these eight conditions, this is why we're calling this real happiness, the unexpected path to blessing. 
And we're going to start with Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. You should read the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Have I mentioned lately we should read our Bible? I'm going to talk a lot about it today. It says in verse 1, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up into the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, that's the way that they taught in those days. The teacher would actually sit down, and everybody else would stand up. It would be like if I sat down today and said, All right, everybody stand up for the next 45 minutes. Everybody would be watching online, wouldn't they? You know, you'd be like, yeah, i got to stand at church. There's no chairs at church. I'm just going to stay at home and watch online. So I think we should make the people online stand up. If you're, in your, if you're in your living room or your bedroom, just get up and stand up for the next 40 minutes, okay? I see that. They're, they're not doing it. They're, they're, they're not doing it, you know. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. They're, they're like, oh, I got up, but i got to go get another cup of coffee. Or I put you on pause, Jerry. That's the advantage, right? So he gives them, as he opens this greatest sermon he gives them the eight conditions for real happiness or the eight ways to be blessed by god he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god and i can almost i can almost imagine matthew clicking his pen and going oh this is good blessed blessed are the poor in spirit for what he's, theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and other disciples are going, oh, we better write this down. Matthew's not going to get this right. So they're, they're writing it down. And, and probably other people, all these other people are writing it down as well. Because this is Jesus, the Son of God. And he's about to teach. They don't realize it yet, but he's about to teach the greatest sermon ever taught that we're going to be talking about for 2,000 years. Aren't you glad they wrote this down? Now the problem with this verse is it... It doesn't tell me a lot because I don't understand what poor in spirit means. What is that? So we've got to unpack this in order for us to understand it to be a benefit to our lives. If I say, well, happier those who are poor in spirit, that's one of the problems with reading through quickly the Sermon on the Mount. We're only going to cover half of the first verse, and we're going to see there's so much in it today that it's easy to just read, 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 and go on to, to something else and to miss so many things that we can apply to our lives. So this week as we start the series, I just want to talk about the first six words that Jesus says in this most famous sermon. When he starts with the word blessed, I like that. I like that he's not starting with cursed. Like here are, or he could have said, hey, here are eight problems this world has. Or here are eight things that are going to mess up your life. What he starts with, not eight curses. He says, let me tell you eight ways to be happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the first word out of his mouth is a blessing. But I have to ask the question, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because he's not talking about physical poverty. We Probably a lot of people know what it means to be poor. He, he doesn't say blessed are the poor. He says blessed are the poor in spirit. So he's not talking about economic poverty. He's not talking about material poverty. He's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. That's He's, he's talking about maintaining a certain attitude. I recognize that I'm inadequate to live my life without God in my life. I'm, I'm spiritually poor. I need more than me. So the first condition of blessing in our life is we've got to trust God. We've got to depend on God. That's why we're talking about depending on God for real happiness. And that's what it means. What it means to be 
poor in spirit. Let me just give you a definition. I'll have you glad, grab that pen. It's summertime, so I'm only asking you to write down like six words for this whole message. But the first thing I want you to write down is poor in spirit means I humbly depend on God instead of myself. So happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the people who humbly depend on God instead of themselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are people who humbly depend on God instead of themselves. That's what it means. Because I know that I'm inadequate. I can't handle all the problems of this world on my own. So if I want God's blessing, well, let's say I'm in a relationship. Let's say I'm dating. I'm in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. If I want God's blessing on my relationship, then I'm going to have to depend on him. Or if I'm married, uh, if I want God's blessing on my relationship with my wife or with my husband in your case, then I've got to depend on him for his blessing. If, if I want God to bless my work, I've got to depend on him. If I want him to bless my career, if I want him to bless my school career, my studies, if I want God's blessing on my finances, on my health, a lot of people want God's blessing on their health right now, then I have to humbly depend on him instead of depending on myself. So the question then becomes to me is, well, how do I do that? I mean, if I just say, go depend on God, what does that mean? What does that look like on Monday? What does that look like tomorrow? How do I actually depend on God on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis? So I want to give you three practical ways from God's Word that we can depend on Him this week. You don't have to wait till Christmas to do this. You don't have to wait a year to do this. You can start tomorrow. I encourage you to start tomorrow. Three practical ways to do this from the Word of God. And if I do this, I'll become a man of God who's poor in spirit or a woman of God who's poor in spirit. And we'll learn to depend on God rather than ourselves. And that's the kind of woman, that's the kind of man that God can bless. He can say, hey, they're depending on me and not themselves. They're making themselves poor in spirit and blessable. So I'm going to bless them. I want to bless them. I want them to be happy. So God says, I like to bless. So let me just get right to it. Have you jot these down? The first thing I've got to do, the first way I express my dependence on God. How do I know if I'm depending on God? Well, the number one way is I've got to depend on God's wisdom, not mine. You fill that in? Now, we've talked a lot about wisdom over the last year or so. You remember when COVID started, we were in the middle of a series on fear. I think God had us prepared. And we talked about fear for several weeks. We went all the way through Joseph's life. And then when we got to the end of that last summer, we started the book of James, and we went all the way through the book of James, like, I don't know, it was like 30 weeks in James, the longest we've ever been in any series. And we talked about how the persecution of the church and the early church, how, how much it lined up, how much it was applicable through living through a pandemic. And one of the things that we talk about in James is a lot about wisdom. So I've said a lot of these words. My fear is we haven't been wise enough to apply these words. So we have to keep coming back around to them. Proverbs fourteen twelve says there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Circle the word seems, right before the word right. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There's a way that seems right to us as human beings, but what God is saying is it ends in a dead end. It seems like this is the way to go, and we get down that path, and it's like a cul-de-sac. It's like, oh, my goodness, this, this isn't the way to go. You got us lost. You know, I, I, I made a mistake. This is a wrong turn. This is a dead end. 
Have you ever had a feeling in your life, you, you had this, you had, man, I just have this feeling, this is the right way to go. Or this is the right thing to do. Or you just had this very strong feeling, I just know it, I know it, this is the right decision for me. And you felt it with all your heart, and then you did it. And it ended up being a very, very dumb decision. It ended up being a total disaster. It ended up being a fiasco. It ended up being a failure. You made the decision. You thought it was you. You told everybody it was the right decision for you. Maybe even slammed the door as you told your parents. It's my life. I'll do what I please, right? And you decided, no, 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 have you ever did that? And, and you decided, yep, this is my decision. And then, then later you look back and you think, what did I do? I was so sure, or it seemed so right, or all my friends said, jump. And, you know, you got to the end of the bridge, and your friend said, jump. Would you do it? Yeah, a lot of us jumped, right? And it ends up a failure. It ends up, I mean, most of us could give a testimony about that. We're in our room, so what's the worst decision you ever made? You thought it was the right decision, or you wouldn't have made it. You didn't sit there and go, this is the dumbest decision I'm ever going to make. I'm going to do it anyway. Some of you did. You need therapy, but... But most of us, we thought it was a good decision. That's why we made it. But it wasn't a good decision. We relied on our own wisdom. He's like, this is the perfect relationship. I'm going to get into this relationship. This is the perfect one. It's the one I've always wanted. And then later you're thinking, what have I done? Or worse, if it's a marriage. I mean, you even said in front of witnesses, I do enthusiastically. And then you realize, oh, I did. And what... What started out with all these hopes and dreams turned into, you know, an after-school special. And it was not a good one, right? So I know, sometimes people will think, I know this is the right thing to say to my kids, and they say the exact wrong things. And your parents did that. They thought it was the right thing to say. Nope, it wasn't. Or how about this, investments, right? Have you ever, have you ever gotten a stock tip and you just knew this was the one, right? You just thought to yourself, man... Because you knew somebody or somebody who knew somebody or somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And it's like, you know, buy this stock. Let me just tell you, that has happened to me several times. And I can promise you, if you have a stock that's performing incredibly for you, don't tell me. Because if you tell me and I buy that stock, it's like I'm the kiss of death. I just promise you, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, the, you can't, they're too big to fail. Government will bail them out. Okay, I'll buy, you know. It's just I have that curse. I don't know what it is. So in fact, if you have some competitors of yours and they have stock and you want me to buy them stock, so they'll come talk to me. I'll see what I can do. I'm only kidding. Only joking. Only joking. So someone said on Facebook, uh, if you could go back and tell your high school self just three words, what would you tell them? Have you ever seen that? If you tell your and people are like, don't marry him. Some people put that or you know tr- trust in Jesus or you know they have all these neat little uh, sayings. If I could go back to 1985 and tell my 85 self just three words, I, I put on there buy Apple stock. That's what I put, or buy maybe buy Amazon stock. I don't know one of those two. But I tell you, if I had bought Apple stock when it when it first came out, Steve Jobs would have been out of a job. <laughs> The kiss of death. So my own wisdom and all my friends' collective wisdom, especially in investments, it's not as wise as they think it is. We could probably spend the rest of the morning talking about examples of how I listen to my friends or I listen to my... Do you listen to your gut sometimes? Some of us, we, we're proud about that. I, I just go with whatever my gut says. Here's my problem with that. 
what I've learned is I'm going to go with what God says. You know why? Because God is full of truth. And my gut is usually full of things like pizza or tacos. My gut is not trustworthy. And neither is yours. My intellect, not trustworthy. Neither is yours. My heart, certainly not trustworthy. Not all the time. Neither is yours. You know you have examples of that. So we've got to learn to not trust my heart, not trust my intellect, not trust my gut. Instead, I'm going to trust God's wisdom, not my wisdom. Why? Because our feelings lie to us. They lie all the time. It's something that feels so right. And it turns out it wasn't so right. It was so What was I thinking? How many of us have said that? How in the world did I get so messed up into this? How did I get so deep into this? How did I make this, this dumb decision? And now I'm scarred. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm burdened. Am I ever going to recover from this? It's because of this verse. There's a path that seems right before each person, but it ends in death. So the first way we get God's blessing in our life is I've got to depend on God's wisdom, not my feelings, not other people, what they're telling me. Because the more I depend on God's wisdom, the fewer dead ends I'll run into, the fewer failures I'll have in life. So when I was in high school, one of the first verses I ever, it's actually more than one verse, one of the first passages I ever uh, memorized is this next one, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. If you've never memorized any verses, this would be one of the, right up there with John three sixteen. I would I would memorize this one. Right up there with Romans eight twenty eight. I would memorize this one. This is, this is one of the top, the top Bible verses. I don't know, top five, top ten, it's way up there. Top 12 for sure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In other words, don't depend on your own wisdom. Don't depend on your own intellect. Don't depend on your own heart. Don't depend on your own gut. Don't depend on what you think is right to do. Because it's often going to lead you astray. It's interesting. When I wrote down astray, I actually spelled it out ashtray. So, yes, you depend on yourself. You'll end up in the ashtray. Not just astray, but the ashtray of life. So don't depend on your own understanding. It says seek his will. Whose will? God's will. Seek God's will in all you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your relationships. Seek God's will in all you do, and he, God, promises, this is his promises, will show you which path to take. And then just to be clear, the author of the proverb says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. What he's saying there is don't go around saying, I got this all figured out. You know, I've been around the block. I've been through the school of hard knocks. I know what I'm doing. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, respect the Lord and turn away from evil. So if I want God's blessing, the first thing I've got to do is depend on his wisdom, not my feelings, not what my gut says, not what my wisdom says, but I trust in the Lord. So the question then becomes, how do you get God's wisdom? I'm glad you asked. Two ways. I'm going to give you the two ways to get God's wisdom. You should write these down. I don't have a blank for you. But the two ways you get God's wisdom is you pray and you read. You pray and you, you read. Is that my mic doing that? Sorry. Lord, i got to be really still. You pray and you read. 
Not going to happen. So as you read the Bible and as you pray, God says that's how you get wisdom. James 1.5, remember I mentioned James. You've heard me say this verse many, many times. My question is, are we applying this verse? You got, I don't think that's me. If you guys want to bring me a different mic or a different battery. That's going to drive everybody crazy. I don't know if it's something, some interference. Sorry about that. I'll put it over here and let's see if that helps. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God says, I'm willing to give you wisdom. I will not rebuke you for asking me. All you have to do is ask and I'll give it. How many of you heard me say this before? All of you have heard me say this before. God doesn't want us to be foolish. He doesn't want us to be dumb. He doesn't want us to be stupid. I know that's an offensive word to some of you. God doesn't want us to hit dead ends in life. He wants us to succeed. He doesn't want us to go through failure after failure after failure. He wants, he wants us to make smart decisions, not dumb decisions. He wants us to be smart with our time, smart with our money, smart with our relationships and everything else. And it's not like we're waiting on God. Man, I just, I'm just waiting for God's wisdom. No, no, no. God says, you're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. What is he waiting on? He's waiting on us to ask. He says, if you'll ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to you. I'll give it graciously to you. And the question is, when's the last time you asked God for wisdom? Not that you've heard Jerry talk about wisdom. Not that you've heard him talk about asking for wisdom. But that you actually ask for wisdom. Do you know how you ask God for wisdom? Let me show you how you ask God for wisdom. You open your mouth and you look up at God and you say, God, please give me wisdom. You say those words out loud. You don't say them out loud so he can hear you. You say them out loud so you can hear you. So here's what I want you to do today. Today is July the 11th. I want you to ask God, God, please give me wisdom. And I want you to write it down. I want you to, it's, it's 7-11. It's, oh, thank heaven. You know, I'm finally asking for wisdom. Here's your Slurpee, right? So don't, don't forget this. The next time when I come around, we're going to be in December, and I say, yeah, you got to ask God for wisdom. When's the last time you asked for wisdom? You're going to go, oh, it was a really, it was a really 7-11. That's the last time. Don't let that be the answer. We should ask God for wisdom every day. So seriously, in your own mind, you don't have to write it down, but did you ask God for wisdom yesterday? How about the day before? Did you ask him for wisdom at any time last week? How about in June? Was there any day that you can remember where you sat there and you said, God, I need your wisdom. Please give me wisdom. 30 days? 90? Has it been this year? We have got to take God at his word and actually ask. Now, how do you know if you're living in God's wisdom? Well, are you talking to him on a daily basis about everything all day long? Like, God, I'm walking into this meeting. Please give me your wisdom. God, I'm about to sit down and talk to my teenager. I need your wisdom. You know, God, my spouse has that look. I'm going to need some wisdom. And ask God for some wisdom. Ask him. And then how often are you reading his word? Are you in his word every day? 365 days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all every day. And I'm not talking about 30 minutes. I'm just talking about 
I'm not even talking about necessarily 30 verses. Just three verses. Maybe some of you, you don't open the Bible, but you've got the Bible app. It's a great app, app to have because it'll bug you. It'll say, hey, have you read your Bible? Say, hey, you forgot to read your Bible today. And it'll give you a big check mark. Check marks are fun for some people. You could be in a group and it'll tell all your friends, yep, he read his Bible today. Here's his verse of the day. Whatever you need to do to pull you back in to reading his word every day and regularly asking for wisdom and praying every day to him. That's how you get the wisdom of God. So let me just be very, very clear and make you write it down so that we get it. Okay? We all want to know God's wisdom. We all want to know what God's will is for our life. So let me be really clear. I want you to write this down. God's will, wisdom and God's will are in God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you haven't downloaded the app, feel free to take a Bible with you as you leave. We have lots of Bibles. God's wisdom and God's will is right here in His Word. And He says, I want you to read it, and I want you to, I want you to ask me for it. And if we're not in God's Word, except on Sundays every now and then, then we're not as wise as we could be. And if we don't pray to Him every day, ask for wisdom, and have a conversation with him. That's the starting point. I've got to talk, and I've got to read. Let me give you another one, because I could go on wisdom for a week. We, in fact, maybe we should just do a series on wisdom sometime. Then we'll have six weeks in a row where we all ask God for wisdom. That would probably be helpful for many of us. The second thing I want you to jot down is not only do I, have a, I need to depend on God's wisdom, not my wisdom, but I need to depend on God's strength, not my strength. Because we need God's power in our life to do what we are called to do. Part of God's wisdom is knowing not only what to do, but doing what we know to do. You've got to not just know it, but you've got to do it, right? So the hard thing is that what God says, this is the right thing to do, Jerry, I go, but God, I can't do that. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't have enough energy. There's no way I can do that. He says, yeah, I know. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the wisdom, but I'm also going to give you to know what to do, but I'm also going to give you the power and the strength to do what is the right thing to do. So if you want God's blessing in your life, you've got to learn to tap into his strength. Because the reason why we're so tired and the reason why we run out of energy is we're, we're human. It's that simple. Our strength is limited. God knows this. God puts us in a world that's going to stress us out. God puts us in a world that's going to zap our energy. God puts us in a world that is too much for our strength. And he does that to allow us to realize, oh, I'm going to have to humbly depend on God for strength. That's how I'm going to get myself blessable. That's how I'm going to find real happiness. Our strength is limited. God's strength is unlimited. Our strength is finite. God's strength is infinite. Our strength is exhaustible. That's why we're exhausted half the time. God's strength is inexhaustible. God never runs out of energy. God never gets tired. Never, never. So I need to depend on God's strength, not my own strength. So if you want God's blessing in your life, if you want to find real happiness, then you need to depend on God for your strength. What do we do when our strength evaporates? When we're at the end and we're like, I'm just out of steam. I just can't go on any farther. I'm tired. Here's the promise of God. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who, in fact, this is one of the first verses, one of my favorite verses, I call this my life verse all the way through college. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who trust in the Lord 
will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The darkest moments of your life, you are not going to make through on your own without God's strength. The only way to make it forward through the darkest moments of your life and not get stuck and miserable in the darkest moments of your life is to find and tap into the strength of God. And the reason why most people don't ever get through the darkest moments of their life is because they don't have God's strength. I've seen people go through divorce and never recover. They're stuck and they're miserable. I've seen people go through the, the destruction of a relationship and not get through it, not recover. Because of the breakup, they're still stuck. I've seen people go through major illness. I've seen people go through bankruptcy. I've seen people go through getting laid off, getting fired. I've seen people go through getting arrested. I've seen people go through abuse, and they never got through it. They got stuck. They never recovered. Why? Because they were depending on their own strength. No human being can get through the most discouraging, most destructive times of life on their own. You're not going to get through it. You're going to get stuck. You're not going to recover without the strength of God in your life. So you've got to learn to depend on him. I don't just depend on God for wisdom to do the right thing. I've got to depend on God, his strength, to have the power in my life to do the right thing. So I've got to say to God, God, you're going to have to give me the energy to do this. You're going to have to give me the power to do this. And God's like, yep, that's exactly what I've been waiting on you to realize. So I need to plug into the bathroom. Listen, the older you get, the harder life gets. Oh, yeah, you might be you might be collecting wisdom along the way, hopefully, if you're going to the source, but you're losing strength along the way. When I was in my 20s, I could do a whole lot more than I could do. You remember when you were in your 20s? Like, oh, my goodness. You know, when I was in my, when my 30s, I could do almost as much as I could do in my, and now I'm in my 50s. I don't even know where all my energy goes. Well, I know where it goes. You know where your energy goes when you're in your 50s? It's all these little kids around you. They suck the energy right out of you. All you got to do is walk down Discovery Zone. They're like, I need a nap. You know, I go in there and I just say, hi, hi. You know, like, I need a nap. You know, all I did was say hi to those kids. They just, they tractor beam all my energy right out of me. The only way you're going to get through the darkest days of life and the only way you're going to get through, especially when your health starts to fail or when you're, you know, your shoulder and your knee and your ankle and your hip and your back, I could go on and on and on, all hurt. Yeah, and you're like, I don't have the energy you used to have. I'm tired. Or maybe maybe you've started, some of you who are older than me, you, you, your mind started to slip, and you know it. And you're forgetting some things, and maybe some dementia starting to kick in, or maybe you've got Alzheimer's in your family, and it's your biggest fear in the world. Let me just Let me tell you a verse that you should memorize now. Hopefully you can remember later. Look at this verse. It says, Psalm 73, 26. My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine. How long? Forever. So you may be in your 80s, and you may be, hmm, maybe you're at home. You're stuck at home because, because you, you, you've been shut in this whole year because of health concerns or, or, or things that are, that, that are affecting you, or maybe even your mind. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. 
but God remains the strength of my heart. How long? He's mine forever. We should all memorize that. Great verse to remember. Everything else may fall apart. My body might fall apart. My mind might fall apart. But God is the strength of my heart, and he's mine forever. Sometimes in your life you're going to be so weak you can barely pray. Sometimes in your life you're going to be so weak you can barely face tomorrow. You can't go to Bible study. You can't maybe go to work. There's some people right now, especially those who have been isolated over this whole COVID quarantine thing. Listen, you spend 14 days locked up in your room with nothing but, you know, Netflix. And it's like, I've watched everything on Netflix. And you're like, really? Everything? Yes. And you're laying there and you've you got to find your strength in the Lord. You've got to rest in the Lord. And you've got to say, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't feel like moving forward. You see, weakness can actually be a good thing. When we're weak, we trust in God. When we trust in God, he gives us strength. You go from weakness to strength through the process of trusting God. Trusting him with whatever your situation is, with whatever it is, the darkness that you're going through. All right, last one. We've got to finish in a couple quick minutes. Number three, I depend on God's wealth, not mine. I depend on his wisdom, not mine, his strength, not mine, and his wealth, not mine. If we put our security in our bank account or we put our security in our possessions or we put our security in our retirement, we will live a very insecure life because all of those things can go in snap of a finger. We've known that. You don't know what's going to happen in Washington or around the world next week. Who knows? Something could happen where uh, it could be like 1929 all, all over again. Everything in your retirement account's gone. You've gone from one, 401k to 104k, just like it was in 2008. We can't have our we can't have our our security in our job. Sometimes in America, that's what we do. We put our security in our job. That's where we get our our status and our identity and and our income and our stream. You know, everything that we have is all wrapped up in that. You can lose your job. We have to keep our security in God. Philippians 4.19 says it, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So I depend on God's wealth, not my wealth. That's part of the problem of being so blessed in America, is we have so many blessings that sometimes we can, we can put our trust not in the blesser, but in all of his blessings. And we've got to make sure we don't put our trust in all of God's blessings that we have. We keep our trust in the one who blesses. I want you to jot this down. My job is a channel that God uses, but God is my source. And we've got to keep that in perspective. Let me give you an example. If I go home today, I live in tall trees over here, just a few miles from the church. If I walk into my kitchen and I turn on the water and there's no water that comes out, What's the problem? I'm not, I'm not going to, there's no water. I go over to the other faucet and I turn out and there's no water. I'm, I'm not going to say, oh my goodness, all the water in the world's gone. It doesn't mean all the water in the world's gone. It just means that my channel was blocked or I didn't pay the bill or there's something, you know. But, it, but it's not like the source of water in the world is over. And it's the same thing with, with God. God is our source. If, if your job turns off tomorrow, you don't know, you could end up like Chris. And he, he had no idea there was going to be a worldwide pandemic. His whole company was going to get disintegrated because nobody's coming to Orlando for a convention for over a year. And God can turn 
If, if that gets turned off, God can open up another opportunity. He's the source. Our employer is not the source. God's not limited to our ability or our capacity. If, if we think our job is keeping us financially secure, we, we have the potential to be sadly mistaken and disappointed. My God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. All right. We're out of time. Before we, uh, before we go and close in prayer, though, I want you to evaluate yourselves, a pass or fail, plus or minus on each of these three. Let me, let me go through them with you. First, I depend on God's wisdom, not my wisdom. I want you to give yourself a plus or a minus by that number one. Here's the test. Am I talking to God throughout the day, all day? And am I reading God's word every day? If you are, give yourself a plus. It was like, Jerry, I'm a little hit and miss. You know, I started out in January really good. I read through Genesis, but now I'm in, you know, I'm in Chronicles and it's killing me. So I haven't read my Bible in a while. Then maybe you've got to work on that. Give yourself a minus. Second one, I depend on God's strength, not my strength. Are you doing that? Are you depending on Him to give you strength? Plus, if you've been relying on your own strength lately, give yourself a minus. And I depend on God's wealth, not my wealth. Who are you looking for for your source of security? Is it your retirement? Is it your bank account? Is it all your worldly possessions? Well, if so, you're pro- you'll know that because you'll be nervous. Nervous about the economy. Nervous about the markets. Nervous about business and all that stuff. Or are you depending on God to meet all your needs? Give yourself a plus or a minus in each of these areas. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. I'm going to invite you to just say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to teach us how to live. Just make that your prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to teach us how to live. And thank you for sending him to die for our sins. God, I want your blessing in my life. Will you make that your prayer? God, I want your blessing in my life. So today, I want to take this first step of learning to depend on you more. I want to depend on your wisdom this week, not my wisdom. Your wisdom, not mine. So you can replace my confusion with your confidence. And I want to depend on your strength, God, not my strength. So your power can show up in my weaknesses. And finally, Lord, I want to look to you as the source to meet all my needs. Not my job, not my stuff. You to meet all my needs. So help me this week to walk in the wisdom and the strength and the provision of the Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you hadn't noticed the date, it's 7-11. That means free slushies for everyone at 7-11. And it also means our youth are headed to Passion Camp tomorrow morning. Please be praying for their safety and that they'll have a great time. And most importantly, that they'll have an encounter with Jesus that will lead to a lifetime of walking closely with him. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.